0: Welcome to the Eclectic Readers Book Club on Sunrise Robot, where sometimes reading means looking at pretty, pretty pictures. I'm Jeanette. I'm Tara. And I'm Meredith. So how are you guys this month?
1: We're We're great! great.
0: (laughs) that was a little intense there, guys.
1: Well, it's because we're actually sitting right next to each other. (laughs) For the first time in the history of the podcast... For the first time, I'm in D.C. for this weekend, visiting around, as you know, because I saw you last night. Um, so it's been a really fun trip. We've had a good time so far. Yeah. So it's, it's fun to record with someone in person. Yeah. We, we made a blanket for it. It's pretty epic. It's, it's pretty amazing, if I do say so myself. <laughs> I still
2: expect photos.
1: <laughs> How about you, Jeanette? How are you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well. Um, I've been out of class for about a month. And so it's great because I read like a normal bookish person.
1: Whatever, you still beat your 100 book challenge.
0: I did. I read 100 books. I did. I I'm just, so excited.
1: I'm in awe. I don't even know. I, yeah. <laughs> I love reading it. I don't even think I could.
0: I, I don't know how I did that. I didn't think I, it was going to happen. I had a lot of books to go after class was done, but I did it. So that's really exciting. Uh, but the other thing is, like, I'm moving. So it's like excitement and relaxation and stress all in one.
1: Yay. <laughs> It's good. Moving is definitely stressful. Uh, (laughs) At least it's good timing since you don't have classes.
0: Yeah, no, it is good timing, except for the whole moving during the week of the podcast thing. So apologies to our sound gentlemen, because I'm in a mostly empty room. I've tried to help that, so sorry if there's an echo. And also apologies to the readers, because my husband boxed my copy of our book into... (gasps) a box yesterday. Like, he taped it How
1: up. How very dare he. Yeah. In fairness,
0: oh. I told him he could start taping boxes. I did not tell him which ones to not tape. <laughs> so, my bad. Um, but yeah, so I'm doing this, you know, by memory. Let's see if I can do that.
2: <laughs> we, we have faith in you, Jeanette. We do. So let's get talking about some books. What are you two reading? Tara, what are you reading?
1: I am reading Cinder right now, which I know a lot of us have already read or are currently reading, which is essentially a post-apocalyptic um, robot version of Cinderella, or not robot. Um, cyborg. I don't I've cyborg. Read. Thank you. I'm like, what's the word where there's some biological... Yes. Cyborg version of Cinderella. Um, I haven't... I've got to be honest. I haven't read it that much, but it just hasn't grabbed me. I feel sort of guilty about that, mm. but um, I'm, I'm hoping, like, as I get into it more, it will really... Um, it will call to me. It has a lot of things I should like. It's a dystopia. Mm-hmm. It's a YA. It's about a woman. I mean... That's pretty much your top three, right? <laughs> I, mean, right. I mean, the only thing is it doesn't have magic. So if it had mm-hmm. magic, boom, de yada. But I mean, it's got a lot going for it. So How far Hopefully, are you into it? Not that far. Like two chapters.
0: I okay. will tell you this. It didn't grab me for the first couple of chapters either. Mm. But it does. And I will also add, there are... Mysterious circumstances, which some people refer to as magic, coming up.
1: <gasps> Exciting! So, I love techno magic too. So that's techno magic. That's say. great. Okay. Okay. Well, what about you, Jeanette? What are you reading?
0: I am reading *The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay* by Michael Shabon, which I've been dying to read. I actually tried to start it back in October, and I basically was reading like two pages at a time. But now that I've got more time and more focus, I'm getting into it. I'm maybe about 100, 125 pages in, and it's getting really, really interesting so far.
1: Awesome. Very I'm, cool. Let me know how it goes. That's been on my to-read list for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, both, both of your books that
2: you're reading are on my to-read list.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's really interesting so far. Not a whole lot has happened, but they've laid a lot of interesting groundwork. Like Right now, plot-wise, Cavalier and Clay have just gotten... A uh, contract to do some comics, so pretty interesting. Ah, interesting. Um, and then that one's an ebook. So for my bedtime reading, I'm doing <laughs> the Snow Queen and Other Tales by Hans Christian Andersen, and that's one of those art folds books. So after I read uh, it, I get to fold it into a pretty sculpture.
1: That's oh, so cool. And that cool. My cousin yeah, gave that me is- that
0: one, and I've been I saving it for winter.
1: So those sound awesome. I want one. Yeah, they're really neat. All right. What about Want you, Maris? <laughs> well,
2: I actually just finished the books I was reading, but uh, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I just started *A Darker Shade of Magic* by V.E. Schwab, so I finished that up, and I liked it. I thought it was yeah, good. Right? Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, they don't really leave you on
1: a crazy cliffhanger, which so I'm like, all right, we'll see where they go with the next book. I don't think she knew. At the time, Mm. if it was going to be popular enough to warrant a sequel. Gotcha. But I do think the world created in A Darker Shade of Magic is interesting enough to be able to generate multiple tales. I think so. And there's
2: definitely a few things that were left open that I kind of have some theories about. So I think it'll be interesting. I'm excited Mm. for uh, the next book comes out in February. I don't remember the exact date. Uh, So I'll look forward to that. And I just finished "Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me?" by Mindy Kaling. Uh, I, I I liked her work as a writer on The Office, and uh, I've watched all but the newest uh, season of her show, The Mindy Project. All right. And so it'd been on. I mean, it'd been on my list forever, and I was like, "Yeah, I should probably just read it." Uh, so it was good. It was you know, it was funny. I I enjoyed the parts more that dealt with her life, you know, growing up and how she got into the business. There was a section in the book that was more like two or three minute bits. Like each chapter was only a couple pages long. It's like, what's up with guys shaving their chest hair? Or, you know, like, (laughs) so like some of it was funny, but it was just like so many little bits coming
1: at you at once. Um, I just preferred the actual stories. Right, right. I need to do better about that. I do not read a lot of autobiographies. For whatever reason, I just have never found them gripping. I, I read biographies of mm-hmm. dead people. <laughs> this sounds terrible. Um, But autobiographies are something I, I really don't get into. And I think maybe that should be a resolution for me this year is attempting to really get back into that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, speaking of resolutions,
2: Woo-hoo. it is the new year. It is. Happy 2016, guys. I it's know. It's kind of crazy. But do you have any bookish New Year's resolutions? So, well, Tara, you
1: kind of said I one. think I just sort of put myself in a corner, right? A corner I did not actually expect to say on this podcast. But, yes, I suppose... Let's say I'll read two autobiographies this year. Okay. I think that's a good one. Um and I want to try to black out the book bingo card this mm-hmm. year. That's going to be my New Year's resolution. I've never done it. I've always finished, I've always read more books than are on the book bingo card. Right. But not in those categories. Right, yeah. So um, my goal is to legitimately black it out. Not before anyone else, because that just won't happen. <laughs> not, um, with our, not with our friends. Not with our friends. <laughs> but um, to definitely get it all read this year. What about you, Meredith? Well, pretty similar, actually. Uh, I think <laughs> Great you just minds. I know, I know,
2: exactly. Um, pretty much, I had said I wanted to read more nonfiction this year mm-hmm. because I just really don't. Uh, not that I don't like it. I'm just, you know, I'm like, ooh, you know, fantasy and sci-fi right. and, you know, exciting stuff and stuff I'm comfortable with. Uh, so I think the Mindy Kaling was like, an easy mm-hmm. transition into it. Cause it's still, I mean, it, she's still a comedian. It's still just kind of a funny book, but you know, more autobiographies, more maybe historical kind of nonfiction type of things. And, um, I think I'm going to try to read 34 books. We'll nice. See. Yeah. We'll nice. see if that happens. That's a good
1: amount. Yeah. Um, you were in book club when we read Bonk. Weren't you or I not yet? Not. So have you ever read Bong? I have not. We have recommended it like 8,000 times on this podcast. Exactly. I don't read nonfiction. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no. Seriously, though, everything by that author mm-hmm. is pretty good Okay, and interesting for nonfiction. And so I highly recommend
0: Really that. funny. Last year, I think we, I, we had a food category or books related to food on our book bingo card. So I read yes. Gulp, which is about like the digestive system, which you wouldn't think is hilarious. But I was laughing out loud, so... That was a really yeah, fun
2: one. not what you would think would be funny, but interesting. That's good to know. Yeah. Uh, but what about you, Jeanette? Do you have any resolutions?
0: I do. I'm not going to try and read 100 books this year because Yay! that was a little bit of madness. <laughs> if I read 100 <laughs> you books, think? you know, fine. I guess that's okay. But I'm um, not going to try for that. I'm going to go back to reading 48 books. That's usually what I try for in a year. Um, and I'm going to actually focus on just knocking my to-be-read list down,
1: mm.
0: because I actually yeah, own I a lot of that. books that I haven't read, and that's... Well, yeah, it's a good place to start. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous, so why not just read what I have?
1: Yeah, I mean, if yeah. they're sitting on your bookshelf, they're just sort of like, please touch me, open me, read my insides. But Exactly. That, that was... Grosser than I meant. That was me. a little, little <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I understood where
0: you were coming from, though, and maybe that should make me worried about myself. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but I'm also going to try and read a little bit more nonfiction. I always say I'm going to, you know, focus more on reading, you know, more books about topics that interest me, like education and you know other cultures and things like that. Business books. And man, I never actually get around to doing it, and it's probably because I take so many classes, but I'm going to be taking fewer classes yeah. this year, so I'm hoping to uh, get around to it.
1: I just need to get over that I use reading as escapism. Mm-hmm. Like, reading can be for more than escapism, and that's, like, an inside thing I have to work with. Work. No, at. I agree. Yeah. 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 And so, like, actually reading it for learning when I'm not in a class, I think is something that I need to work on. There's another one. Another book illusion. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. It sounds like we all have some good resolutions. Yeah. So hopefully
2: we can keep up with them and keep each other accountable.
0: Yeah, we'll have to check in at the end of the year and be like, how'd we do?
2: Oh, How man. many nonfiction books did you read? <laughs> uh, I'm going to uh, fail. Yeah. <laughs> and so another thing that always seems to come up with our books, because apparently we are just awesome at picking books, is a lot of the books that we've picked over the years have turned into movies a lot of them have turned into movies tons 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 i think at the uh,
0: time that uh susan and i counted it when we were podcasting about this before it was something like 18 and since then a couple of more books have been picked up so it's probably like 20 to 22 now
2: that's um, well that just shows you how awesome we are
1: we are yeah
2: but now two of our books are being turned into tv shows which i'm super excited about so Shadowhunters starts, or actually it premieres, on January 12th. So technically we're recording early, so it hasn't come mm-hmm. out yet. So we can't talk about it yet, but it will have premiered yeah. by the time
1: you're listening. And, and, it's come and out three days ago,
0: guys, according to <laughs> <Yeah>. the
1: listener <laughs> <And> schedule. <laughs> as a book club, we read the Mortal Instruments first book, which is what I believe season one is going to be based off of, but who knows how they're actually going to be breaking it up, right. um, called City of Bones, mm-hmm. which we will actually be doing our next podcast about Mm -hmm. so yeah so that'll be fun to be
2: able to talk about the two different you know elements the tv show and the book uh so that is premiering on freeform slash abc family i don't know if they've technically changed their name yet i
0: think they have
2: because the promos all say freeform Gotcha, and then one of our one of
1: our favorite books that we just read, the, the Magicians. You know, guys, I'm gonna repeat. I think it gets a bad rep. It's so much better later on. But yes, The Magicians are turning into I a do series, like and the they're book. aging. In both these series, they're aging up the characters, which okay. I think is appropriate. Like Break Bill's, um, Break Bill's, and The Magicians is a grad school, not a college. That might be okay. more interesting. Although, yeah. if
0: Quentin is still very Quentiny. It's not going to make much difference. That's,
1: that's my thing. I just,
2: I'm, I just, I don't know how they're going to make this into a TV show. What are they going to do every episode? Just have him sitting there brooding? <laughs> I, I,
1: oh, I know. You, you learn. You do the...
2: I just feel like they're going to have to bring in a lot of things that were not in the book. Like, are we going to see them more in
1: classes? Are they, how are they going to do this? I think that the overarching villain is going to be made much more clearer in the series... Then the Chapman brother, what was his name? Mark Martin, 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 Martin. That Martin is going to be have a much more overarching, uh, much more arc, like a real arc. um Well, and in, I in guess yeah, way. are they going to spend one season on the whole book?
2: Like I, I don't I know, know how. I just how are they going to stretch this out? For how are you going to do the
1: goose scene? How are you going to do the geese scene? I love the yeah. goose scene, man. Oh, so great. So, I could understand this being a movie. I just, I'm a little wary of it being a TV show. I actually think it might be better as a TV show because of how annoying Quentin is. (laughs) No, no, I mean it. Because, like, can you imagine that boiled down into two hours? Just two hours? You're just going to get the worst bits of him.
0: That's true. Um...
1: In, in a in a TV show, you can be more faceted and you can take the slower approach on that. So he'll just wear us down. Well, <laughs> I'm hoping, in general, we'll see enough of his good sides to warrant actually enjoying the show. Yeah,
0: I also now, think in a TV show, you get to do more ensemble bits than you do... A movie is usually about someone doing something. And TV shows usually focus on multiple characters
1: and that's true because the magicians is definitely from quentin's point of view yeah and in the show we're probably going to be able to get scenes where he's not even in it
0: oh that'd so be great. so good what?
1: <laughs> i know it's gonna be great oh my gosh can we just
0: get <laughs> alice in every scene that'd be amazing well she has her
1: own have you seen the set that they designed for their clubhouse no it's i've been amazing. going spoiler
0: free for most of it i've seen a couple of pictures and that's about it
1: it's amazing she has her own little like cubby hole they call it like alice's bed and like i just i love everything about it and there's so much alcohol it's funny because um the author actually went into set and he was worried he was gonna have to tell them you know there needs to be more alcohol on set (laughs) and he looked around he's like nope they've got it covered they're good they got it covered it's good they got
2: they got that right (laughs) yeah and, yeah, and, and I don't want to
1: sound like a Debbie Downer. Like I, I
2: think it could be really interesting, and I have finished the trilogy now, and I do. I enjoy the t- other two books much more than the first, so I'm still excited to see where they'll take it. Uh, you know, we'll see. Um, so that premieres on January 25th on the Sci-Fi Channel. Mm-hmm. Right. So we'll see. I guess we can kind of go back to that in our next podcast and see how we liked the first few episodes. That'll be exciting. And then let's see, we also at the end of the year had our readathon. We did. So Jeanette, do you want to give us just a quick recap on that? Um,
0: sure. So we had that at the sort of mid to end of December, the weekend before Christmas, and I think it went really well. We had a lot more people than I expected, I think, at one point we were like, oh man, there's going to be like three of us, which is no big deal because the Eclectic Readers Book Club started with three people. And look where we are now. Yeah, uh, yeah. that is true. So, But it ended up being um, a lot more people than that. I think it, we had maybe five or six by the end. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and people were kind of checking in all day and catching up if they missed check- check-ins and stuff like that. So it was really fun. I enjoyed it. That was My first weekend off from grad school, so I was like, oh my gosh, it's like a reward for finishing the semester. I guess I get to sit here and read. I took a nice long walk with an audiobook so I could get some (laughs) points for exercising while reading and reading in a new place and stuff like that. Nice. um, How about you, Meredith? What was your experience?
2: Well, I enjoyed it. I I liked the, the different ways to get points were fun. And apparently A Darker Shade of Magic was just a really good book to be reading during that time because I got a ton of points from just all the different types of things going on in the book. But I was also excited because I got points for reading in, what was it, like a place I've never read or like in a different, like a weird place or whatever. Yeah, a place you've Um, never read
0: before.
2: Yes. I'd never read in a movie theater before. (laughs) Oh my
0: gosh. It was awesome. I was like, oh, man, I'm jealous. This should be on, like, Net Reads in Weird Places. But Meredith did it. So it's Meredith Reads in Weird Places this month. Mare
2: Reads in Weird Places. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was the weekend that Star Wars premiered. So mm. uh, obviously I had to go see that. And obviously I had to get there early because, you know, you want a good seat. Obviously. Obviously. So, of course, the only logical thing was to bring my Kindle and sit in the movie theater with my husband kind of, like, looking at
1: me funny. <laughs> So I know this is a, real quick, I know this is a book club podcast, but can we just give our rating of Star Wars Force Awakens? <laughs> I, I, I say A minus. Yeah, I think, yeah, solid A minus. I think that's solid a really a-.
0: good rating for it. I really liked it, so.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Continue on. I, of course, as you probably have known since they have not asked me, did not, did not participate in the readathon this year. It is a shame. I am shamed. I am so shamed. And I'm so sorry. Um, I was busy with family stuff that weekend. So I was just unavailable. I guess that's okay. But, you know, you know <laughs> it was books we'll and it stuff, fly. you know?
2: But I think we got really good feedback about it. Yeah. And we'll, we'll try to make it, you know, a fairly regular occurrence. Yeah. So that, you know, when you have time, you can do it. It was fun. Yeah.
0: So I think we got a lot of, you know, feedback saying, let's do this again. Like, it was fun. So... And I think, Meredith, I believe you were the grand winner with 15 points.
2: I think I was. I definitely did not read the most pages. But I'm telling you, that book was just really great for the the points. Yeah,
0: (laughs) And, um, yeah, so we have to have another one. I think we were talking about maybe doing it twice a year. So we'll see in a few months if we can, you know. Pull this together again and see if anybody can challenge Meredith. And we're going to change up some categories for next time. R- rotate through so that you never know exactly what's coming.
1: Right, that's yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Can we move it off from Book Bingo just like maybe another month? <laughs> because Book Bingo is in February. Oh yeah, we wouldn't do it. Oh until no, what, yeah, at least the spring I'm, or summer. I'm thinking, yeah,
0: I'm thinking late spring or summer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah. I can't wait, guys. Yeah.
1: Definitely participating in that one. Yeah. Yay. So, all right, so I guess now's a good time to move to our main book read. Yeah. And this month we read/looked at um, <laughs> The Sculptor by Scott McLeod. And the sculptor is about David Smith, and David Smith is giving his life for his art very literally. Uh, thanks to a deal with death, the young sculptor gets his childhood wish to sculpt anything he can imagine with his bare hands. But now that he only has 200 days to live, deciding what to create is harder than he thought. And discerning the love of his life at the 11th hour isn't making it any easier. Um, so, guys, what is one thing that really, really stood out for you? Um, for- well, go ahead,
0: Mira
2: I must be honest. I must make a confession. This was my first graphic novel ever. I'm so proud of you though. I'm so proud. (laughs) That's a
1: big step because I I think like graphic novels are one of those things that like, if you don't ever get into it, like you Mm -hmm. don't know what you're missing.
2: Yeah. It was Um, just kind of this, this thing off in the distance that all my friends seemed to like, and (laughs) it was always there, but I just never picked one up. And so it was, it was, it was different. It was, it was cool in that sense. You know, I, I was having to make myself slow down and really look at the pictures and not just jump from, you know, word bubble to word bubble. Uh, so that was, it was, it was an
1: interesting read for me in that sense. Yeah. I like graphic novels because in some ways they make you slow down. Because I don't know if you guys experience this, but when I'm reading a book, sometimes I'll just go from dialogue to dialogue. And if I know it's just like some short descriptor of how they said it, I'll just, I will skim it. But I guess mm-hmm. ignoring it's probably the better word. <laughs> and just go from same, similarly, word bubble to word bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in a graphic novel, they can disrupt that really easily with images, which I think is sometimes really neat and yeah. point it for the medium. It was definitely perfect for this book because can you imagine him
2: trying to describe the sculptures that he's making? Oh, no, it went with out of the pictures? It just would have been terrible. Uh, so that was kind of my take from it. Uh, what about you, Jeanette? Uh,
0: well, I really liked the realism of the characters and I'm not going to say that I really like them because I don't think any of the characters are really likable people and I don't think they're intended to be. But they're very real, and the choices that they make are choices I can really see somebody making. I mean, obviously, I don't know many people who make deals with death other than, you know, Joe Black. But Mm -hmm. um, I think the choice that David made was very, like, true to who he was as a person. And then what he did from there on out was just—it was so—it was so true I was like, yeah, this is exactly right. what somebody like him would do. And I really liked that about that.
1: Yeah. So guys, who is David as a person? What sort of person does he represent?
0: He's he's very self-centered. He I mean, he's yeah. passionate about what he does, but he's very self-centered about it. I mean, I think I think he really was like you know, I should be famous, I should have made a name for myself with my art already, like, the rest of the world doesn't understand me, and where I'm coming from, and you know, I've gotta do this and I can do this because obviously this is my destiny like, it was very much all about him and not about, like, seeing the bigger picture of the world at large, or the people around him Is it
1: all about him, or is it all about the idea of making his family who... Um, are all dead, by the way, all died tragically Yeah, that was making sad. his family who are a group of artists in their own right, proud and living up to the name they set for him because both of his parents were at least semi-famous artists in their own field field. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, obviously we don't get a
2: full picture of everything since they are, you know, dead. It's just kind of his flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were artists but i don't think they really pressured him you know they had always said oh you can do whatever you want you can be who you want his
1: father definitely says at some point to make a name for himself where like with whatever you do yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but he doesn't
0: specifically say it in art no he doesn't in fact i believe he says in the same kind of conversation like you don't have to do this Uh, He does. And make a name for yourself, that's something that you can interpret, like, very easily. Like You can make a name for yourself by becoming a great researcher, or you can just make a name for yourself locally by doing one thing, like, really, really well and making sure the people in the community know you. Like, you can make a name for yourself in your local community by being a great volunteer somewhere
2: right or i think even a like a great father you know yeah. i think death kind of alludes to the fact when this is all first starting you know you don't have to go this route like you could still you know have what is yeah. a pretty normal nice life maybe not as exciting as he would like but you know you could have these children and you could be happy and you could still be doing your art on the side mm-hmm. and i think well and we'll probably talk about it later but kind of like leaving a legacy that you know, it doesn't have to be art. It could yeah. be
1: through your children yeah. or through his students. Cause they alluded that he could be a teacher.
2: That's true. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, and you could be the greatest teacher they've ever had. I mean, there's a lot of people, I think most people can name like, Oh, there's this one teacher that I absolutely loved or this mm-hmm, teacher made mm-hmm. a difference. So, you know, if that had been his, you know, destiny, yeah, yeah, he could, he could definitely have made a name for himself. I think he took it as, I have to be a great artist. And I think it was his definition of making a name for himself and his definition of what that means and what, you know, people should see in him. And that's where I think he was a little self-centered about that.
2: Right. Because I think in the beginning, it wasn't even that he just had to be a great artist. It was,
1: I have to be famous. Yes. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a second, because if you look at famous male characters throughout history... That's not an uncommon trait. Look at Hercules. Look at Achilles. Look at Odysseus. Wanting to be known, wanting infamy when you're a warrior is not looked at as being a negative trait. And honestly, I don't think being selfish is necessary a negative trait when checked properly. Um, I mean, it's human nature. It's human nature to want to be the best. Um, But as an artist, it does seem a little, it's, I just don't want to devalue Mm -hmm. that, you know, for artists. I think artists, they put a lot of their soul and work into something and to do that and not be seen Mm -hmm. is really, I think a hard thing for some people to accept. Oh, I totally agree.
0: I mean, my brother is an artist, but my brother, you know, right now does not have an art job. And for me, I feel that very strongly. Like, I probably feel it, you know, almost as much as he does. And I'm certainly a lot more vocal because he's very reserved about it. And I'm like, but, but you should because you're good at this. I mean, I think art is a very valuable contribution. I think artists should be recognized, especially, you know, if you have a lot of talent and you're doing something interesting or something, you know, I think people should see the, those contributions. But I also think you can be self centered and be seen as great and you can be not self centered and be seen as great. I mean those heroes that you mentioned, they were fighting for a They wanted to be great warriors, and they wanted to be the best. If you dare tell
1: me that you do not think Achilles is a self-centered piece of bleep, I I do not believe uh, you. What I'm saying
0: (laughs) is that they were fighting for a larger cause. Yes, they wanted to be the best. They wanted to be great. But they're fighting for a larger cause as well. They're not just fighting to be great. And I'm speaking mostly of, like, everyone that's not
1: achilles okay yes okay but
0: (laughs) but you know achilles doesn't achilles is a little bit different because achilles i mean this is going totally different uh book guys but achilles is fighting it can afford to be that way because of the whole like the
1: semi-god thing yeah
0: so he can afford to be that way but i'm talking about like real like hero heroes in stories a lot of them are fighting for something greater and when they're not you don't tend to enjoy them as much
1: well I think David would say that his art is his something greater his art yeah. is his, his gift.
0: art. not art in general not sculpture
1: although although um, he admits when he thinks he's been best that the um, female sculptor he goes mm-hmm. up against um, when he's trying to get his Um, sculptures into that gallery. Um, And I really love that bit. Actually, let's... That's one of his best
0: bits because that's when he's actually being honest because when he first sees it, he's like, yeah, her stuff's better than mine, but...
1: Well, I'd argue that David is an honest character. As far as he understands the world, I think he is not a liar or somebody who tries to fool himself. I think that he attempts to be as honest with himself as possible. Right. And I
2: think by that point in the book, he has grown a little bit. He has at that
0: point. And that's what I'm saying Um, is it's better. like,
2: Like you had said earlier, Jeanette, about just these characters being pretty true to life. I think I think it is true to life. You know, I mean, we're all gonna have a little bit of selfishness, oh, and we're all gonna want to, you know, especially if we're artists, have our art out there and people mm-hmm. see it and
1: enjoy it. And uh,
2: yeah, so I mean, I think it was realistic.
1: Oh yeah. Let's talk about the other ca- main character in this book. Let's talk about Meg. Um, Let's talk about Meg's character, and also let's just throw this out there. I hate this term. I hate everything let's about get this Get the term. elephant in the room out of the way. Absolutely. <laughs> Is Meg a manic pixie dream girl? Or can't we just murder that term? <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Um, let's, let's do that. So go ahead, you guys. Discuss. Yeah, I mean, it's a little
2: overused at this point, but I think as we talked about in our, uh, like our in-real-life discussion, and Jeanette, I think you're on the same page, that yes, she is, correct? She is a manic pixie dream girl. Yes,
0: and to define that for people who may not have heard that term before, um, a manic pixie dream girl trope is... Um, a trope of a girl who basically she's sort of like the free spirit who comes into the male protagonist's life to make him like open up to new experiences in the world. And, you know, basically fulfills that function of changing his life. And Meg is very much like very, very free spirited. And she's kind of like floating about literally in the very first interaction right. she's kind of floating about uh david and
2: right we the first scene we see her and she literally she's has wings and floats down and says everything's going to be all right but yes. i
1: love it because like immediately that bubble is popped so i mean but she is also literally <sighs> manic too <laughs> she is manic and actually i think that so i i have a different opinion here i don't think she's a manic pixie dream girl not just because i hate the term i do i hate the term But because while that is true, she's a free spirit who comes in and does change the male protagonist's life. Um, I think the book, at least attempts, possibly fails. So I will give this that. Possibly fails, but attempts to show that Meg is not just this free spirit that goes about trying to help him. In fact, he, she's actively attempting to constantly be like, do not fall in love with me. I'm not that good of a person. And then we find out she like legitimately has mental issues. Like, legitimately has emotional problems that are real and mm-hmm. actually put a strain on the protagonist.
2: Oh, yeah. I well, agree with I that. Mean, do you feel like there can be a spectrum of many manic pixie dream girls? <laughs> no, because I think manic
0: pixie dream girls is a BS <laughs> Well, I do. And I find it a BS term in general because I think it's overused and I think it's applied to basically any free-spirited character or any right. free-spirited person. And I think that's wrong. But as far as the classic like, definition of the trope, I think it does. Fa- she does fall into that character because of the fact that she has all these things that make her a more interesting character character but they are not explored beyond the way they affect david's life so if we're going to talk about this character this trope as existing she does fall into it
1: i'm sorry tara i have to agree with jeanette no i I know i'm (laughs) outvoted it's fine i just felt i needed to put that out there yeah (laughs) and I,
0: i will say this i don't think that makes her a less um less of a character. I do think she still is a character. I don't think that makes her less realistic. There are plenty of people who are free spirited out there. There are people who are, you know, generally people looking for projects like Meg is, or there are people who have a lot of, you know, mental issues uh, that like Meg does. There's, she's real. I just don't think she's explored. I think she's very underdeveloped. And I—that's why she falls kind of in this like trope area because she shouldn't be so underdeveloped. She's got so much interesting stuff right. about it, her. It
2: was—it was very surface. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, if they had developed her, she probably would have been my favorite character. Honestly.
1: <laughs> um. Let's talk about the last remaining main character in this book too, before we really delve into some of the more interesting parts of the book itself um death is a main character in this book um he takes on the guise of david's great uncle um and it's really interesting how death interacts with david and the rules he puts in david's place and the ideas that he says you know i can't change the rules though he does tend to like to play with them a bit um what it, how did you all feel about the betrayal of death and the inclusion of death as opposed to God or the devil, right, um, in this story?
0: I'm going to let Mare go first because I don't think anybody <laughs> agrees with me on this one.
1: <laughs> it's, um, I mean,
2: it's, he was an interesting character. You know, when it first starts out, I mean, if, if you'd read the synopsis ahead of time, you knew something was going to happen with death where he was probably going to be depicted. But when it first starts out with, oh, Uncle Harry, how are you doing? Like, and he comes, sits down, and he sits down, and, like, you can tell something seems a little bit off. And then it, do- it kind of got a little creepy there where, like, you yeah. know, like some of the, the, the pictures where he's just, like, staring down at and, and David. And what does
1: David said? David's, like, actual words are, the last time I saw you was, you, you were dead. dead. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs>
2: uh, but so he was an interesting character. I, I, the, the conversations that they had throughout the book, some of them were were pretty interesting. Uh, Death himself as a character was kind of an a hole. <laughs> the way, you know, that he would do things or um, truth, truth. Yeah. yeah. He would, he would kind of tell David things, but they were like half truths. Uh, or when he was saying that, you know, when someone's about to die, he sees their whole life, and, and what was it? They were sitting in the park, I think, one of the times they were playing chess, and he looks over at a guy in, what, a Red Sox baseball cap, and he's, like, telling a life story. And so then, of course, he was like, oh, my gosh, is he going to die then? Oh, no, 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 I just get really good at making up stories now. And then, obviously, we see later on that, no, that guy did actually die. Yeah, And, uh, and obviously, he does that later in the book, too, which is not very nice. No. It's not, but him being used as a character, I thought was interesting, and and more maybe more accessible because he w- he came in the form of his great uncle and wasn't just like this, you know, robed character.
1: Well, I definitely feel that it made David more comfortable with the idea that it is this person that he knew. Um, hmm. Do you think that? Well, no. First. Jeanette, go ahead and let's hear your opposing idea of death. I, um, it's not that
0: opposing. I mean, I like the idea of the way death is portrayed. I do like him coming down, you know, as the uncle. You know, I like the way he, set, he sets up the story. And I think it's interesting. I love the conversations that he has with David for the most part. But as a character... Like, a lot of people, I think, in our book club seem to like him as a character. As a character, I don't like him at all. I think he's, I think he is kind of a jerk. Some of the stuff he does is just plain unnecessary. Um, Toward the end, he sets David up to be miserable by saying, you know, oh, I know all this stuff just because, you know, I happen to be your Uncle Harry. And then he's like, nope, just kidding. I know that stuff because i'm death i that was unnecessary he didn't have to say anything he didn't have to expose anything that he actually knew Uh, he but he did
1: you're talking about when you're talking about when meg is about to die yes okay yeah
2: yeah it it was he was kind of rubbing it in his face yeah i don't know he walks in
0: and he's like i know all this stuff i know all about you and then he's like oh it's just because i'm uncle harry
2: And, yeah, like, when I was living as Harry, I saw you working at the theater or something like that. and
0: we already know that he has lived a life as Uncle Harry, so this is perfectly plausible. But then he comes back and he's like, yeah, actually, I know all that stuff because she's about to die, and, yeah, uh, three minutes, 30 seconds, you know, whatever. And it's like, I don't know. It was unnecessary. It's setting David up to be more unhappy. And yeah, with, I don't, with the short time he has left. Yeah, and I don't think... I, I don't see any reason for that as a character. I see it in a narrative sense, you know, David had to find out that Meg was gonna die, but I don't see it as a character. I don't see that that makes him very because likable.
1: Because it's almost like... I think it's a lot like... Alright, do you remember at some point death tells... Death does give him the choice. Like you can have this family life. You can do this or you can do this 200 days and you can be a sculptor and live for your art. Those are the two options here. And he picks the live for your art option. And then later he says, you know, why can't you just tell people they're going to die and make it stop? And he says, well, can you make this penny? Be face up on both sides. And he's like, No, of course not. It's like, Well, I just can't do that. So he makes a very specific deal with death. And I've reread it. And, you know, he then. And I kind of think David does this to himself, which is really a terrible thing. Or to Meg, which, again, is a really terrible thing. But he tells Death, you know, I think I'm okay with this because I'm going to have a legacy in her. I'm still going to be immortal. He Mm -hmm. switches his priority from being immortal as an artist to being immortal through his unborn child. And that was not the deal.
2: That's true. And I'm trying to remember now, does Death, when he first kind of starts getting more interested in meg does death say something like you really shouldn't
1: yeah be, do, you do you really want to do this yeah. to her he does say that to, he's like maybe you shouldn't do this to her
2: <laughs> maybe you should leave her out of this <laughs> um and so i guess that's the kind of thing we don't know if death can see these different avenues like how clearly he can mm-hmm. see things that's mm-hmm. true um and then I just, I was just thinking as we were talking about death, there was one other book that we've read in book club since I remember it was the first book I read with all you ladies, <laughs> uh, where death was more a narrator, but he was still kind of a character, but was, that was in the book Thief. Oh yeah. And, um, that one was more kind of the ethereal, mm-hmm. you know, not conceptualization like a... of death. Right. Uh, so this was more, and, and maybe that's it. Maybe we're, we were getting too focused on death being a person Mm -hmm. because in the end he's he's still death. yeah he might be in the form of his uncle but he's not his uncle yeah
0: i and i get that i think my problem with it is as far as like character or concept function it serves death no purpose to tell david at, like some of the things he tells him like it makes sense the first time he tells him like about the guy in the hat and being like oh that guy blah 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 blah." oh no i don't really know him okay just kidding i did um it so it doesn't to me it didn't serve any purpose doing it again a second time
1: let's talk about the themes in the book um did anybody catch what the first and last panel of the sculptor was I did not. I haven't I, looked at it again. I caught the last
0: panel. I can't remember the first. Um, so, but the last uh, one, if I recall correctly, is the police officer on the phone, and his wife is on the phone saying, "You're alive."
1: Yes, that is the last, very last panel, and it's a panel all on its own at the top left corner of the page. Right. Of the very. And it's just last page. a very small panel of the cell phone and the single bubble you're alive at the very beginning of the book it's a scene before the book starts before david is drunk at the <laughs> diner and it's actually a scene which i had to re-look at this to notice it it's the scene from the end where meg is trying to tell david that their legacy is not controlled that way and that he has to realize that things about him are going to be forgotten and that he's trying, she's trying to tell him like, okay, you know, let's tell me a secret, tell me a secret. Then you'll tell me. And when I die and you die, that will be it. No one will ever remember it. It will just be between you and me. But, t- but while I'm still alive, you will live on in the secret. Right. Kind of yeah. Exactly. Which is sad because then she dies before him. <laughs> right. But-, um, but the first panel is just her and she says, Ready. That's it. It's just her looking straight through the panel and it says, "Ready, and the last one is "You're alive, and I think very much that is the point of this book is basically say don't you're don't stop and think about it, don't try to um plan for it every day. this is your life.
2: so you know what just hit me what? while you were saying that, how she's saying that he could still stay alive with the secret or the story with him, you know, that this other David Smith, the police officer is going to tell his children this story. That's about. true. Yeah. So he's going to live on with, I mean, and that's kind of a crazy
1: story that'll probably get passed down to yeah. other children for a long time, you know? Well, I think the idea that this person cr- took a skyscraper and molded it mm-hmm. and again, something that never would have happened unless Meg's death had happened, but really like all his other, um, art installations, I'm going to call them, (laughs) um, were isolated incidents that, you know, were easy enough to, could be taken down or, you know, could be changed. Well, except for maybe that one gaping weird human being on that pillar thing. Oh yeah. That Um, was a little weird. But like a skyscraper turning into a woman holding a baby. You know, and then the artist dying. In a way, death fulfilled his wish. Art will be what he is known for. Mm -hmm. Meg will not be remembered. The baby will not be remembered. But this sculpture will. And Mm -hmm. in some way, they will live on. In some way, they will live on. You're right. In the other David Smith's memories and the memories of his children. Mm -hmm. Um, But the secret of why that was created will not. True. True. Yeah, they won't
2: necessarily put the pieces together that this was
1: yeah. Meg and
2: Yeah, that was I don't know. Do you think it was necessary to kill her off? You think that was I the do. final I do. I think the made? idea
1: is that it I I think I didn't think so when we talked about it earlier, but having put together the pieces that death had made a very specific promise to him, his legacy could not be through children. Mhm. And I think that is part of the lesson of this book too is that you need to not, again, you're right. He's selfish that like every day is your life and your legacy can change. Your legacy can shift, but like hyper-focusing on this one thing blinds you to the rest of life or being upset or angsty. You know, every day is, what is it? A vastness of, every second is as vast as the ocean. Yeah. They say that at some point yeah. in the book. They say I think every that-
0: second is an ocean and you have to let them all in, I believe is possibly screwing up that. No, book. I
1: mean, that, that, that's, that's really close, but I think that's the true point of this book.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would agree. I think the a lot of the book, and maybe this is, you know, what I really took away from it because it's something that, you know, I've been thinking about in my own life, but I think this book is really about being present in your life and being present yeah. in your mm-hmm. moments, like all of For them. For sure. And that's something that, you know, I have had I've been thinking about a lot over the past you know year or so and I did see that in this book and I really liked that about it.
1: I agree and I think for people in our age group especially, you know, we've settled a little bit. We have our jobs, we're not struggling for those things anymore. But that, in some ways, makes it really easy to get stuck in the monotony that is our lives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and to be present in our lives and to try to still elevate ourselves past our day-to-day is something that I think that's the great challenge of your 30s. Yeah. Right? Is to be present for your life and not just to be your life. Oh, yeah. To be in the moment.
2: Yeah. And, to,
0: yeah.
2: and you know what this reminds me of? I, I can't remember the name of it and I'm sorry I keep bringing up old books that we've read in book club <laughs> so what was it the the timekeeper or something the by, yeah. time Mi- the time timekeeper. Yeah, timekeeper by Mitch Al- album album album, and There's like you know obviously up. that one was all about you know staying in the present and like time with your life and you know they were saying something about like you know because we all use the term killing time mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah. but really we, we need to stay
1: present yeah in our life Um. At the same point, being present doesn't mean not having secrets, not having Mm -hmm. places people don't see, or about protecting them. I thought one of the best parts of the book is when he's at the sculptor's house. The other sculptor, the Indian woman sculptor, she was Indian, Mm -hmm. right? That was my, I think so. That's what I thought she was. Uh, Maybe not. Um, sorry if sorry if I'm wrong. Um, but she's at that. He's at that woman's house and. She says, you know, I put together the rooms and the hidden parts I put together with just as much intricate detail as the parts that you see. He's like, but aren't you worried no one's going to see? It? And she's like, I used to be. Well, no. I, sometimes I still am, but still, you know, the hidden parts are just as important.
2: And you remember the hidden sculpture he made for the Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That was really sweet.
0: Yeah. And (laughs) and she says something about those being, you know, just as important or even more important because you can't see them or something like that.
1: And it's, um, you know, there's a lot of metaphors in here. I think the medium allows for a lot of visual metaphors, Mm -hmm. which is obvious. Um, Chess is unfortunately one of them. Chess is overused authors. Stop using it. (laughs) Yeah. for God's sakes, it's on the Twilight cover. Like, can we go away from this now? Um,
0: Would you prefer we suggest <laughs> that we switch to like checkers or something?
1: Let's do Chinese checkers. Let's oh, just make that is it so really good, actually. <laughs> um, but there are some really strong metaphors in this book. I think that is definitely one of the strongest. Um, do either of you have any pet metaphors you you like from this book? Pet metaphors. Pet metaphors. I like that. Can we all pet metaphors? Pet metaphors. Uh. Um. <laughs> I have another one, if y'all don't. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Um, I like when he's... Sorry for the crinkling. I'm holding the book open so I can look at it. Um, I love when he's touching Meg's face before they're really together and he's trying to memorize her for the sculptures and he's talking about all the ways she is and all the things she is and how, you know, yes, she's a person but also she's a living, breathing thing which, I mean, I could literally write a paper about just this scene. But, um, as he's doing it, he's talking about her eyes and where the skin meets the bone, where the bone moves into muscle, where the veins are, where there's resistance, where there's pressure. And then he says, um, and then he says, here, and I want to quote it specifically. Jeanette, what you typing, man? Yeah. Oh, just, um,
0: uh, title ideas. Sorry. Continue. Right.
1: <laughs> um, and he says something where it says, um, You know, there's something here to hold on to, something to wrap my hands around. But really, what what we are are just empty spaces next to empty spaces. All of us untouchable. Because his dad was a science writer and he's talking about the molecules and how really we are never touching anything. We can never really know the truth of each other. Deep. So deep. Um, I love in science fiction. <laughs> and things, Or, like, it's not science fiction. That's real. That's real science. Yeah. Um, but I think that's probably my favorite pet metaphor. And it gets really deep, and Meg totally freaks out. Meg's just like, oh, okay, we're done. Yeah. We're done. Like, that's stop it. touching me. Which, you know, <laughs> is understandable from more her More than part, that I can handle. But it is kind of yeah.
0: cool.
2: Yeah. And then she got really upset. She's like, I'm not a thing.
1: Well. And, I mean, I get it. I get but- that. I mean, women... I mean, and I was just talking to someone... In real life, somebody posted something online about objectification, and he did not—and it was a male—he did not understand the battle women go through about objectification. And women are often looked at as objects, and this is, you know, really supported by the media and really Mm -hmm. supported by different avenues in our life. So I get frustrated by that. Yeah. I understand that. But I don't think that's how he meant it. No, And I get that, but it's hard to think like that. Also though, that's an intense thing. We're mm-hmm. not all touchable. There are hidden depths within us. Mm-hmm. That's an intense thing to have someone touching your face and saying all these things and you know, I've been like, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think do we she kiss meant it or do I run away? <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't think she meant it either as like the way we classically think of objectification, but I think she was very aware of you know, him being a sculptor and him trying to like mold her. And I think that freaked her out.
1: Right. Um, so let's just end this here with, uh, before the very, very last question, with just saying, you know, as much as this book is about life and art, um, or, I mean, as much as this book is about life it's also about art mm-hmm. and it says some very specific things about art. And I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question. What about art is special? And what is this book trying to really say about the life of artists and art in general? It's a really deep question. I, I, I get that way. Sometimes <laughs> I'm sorry. Hmm.
2: I mean, art, like we said, it can be a legacy It can be how it makes everyone, everyone has a different, you could look at the same painting or the same sculpture and each person could have a different view of it, a different way that it makes them feel, uh, and art's kind of cool like that. It can be universal
1: and it can be individual. There are secrets to art that Mm -hmm. even the artist doesn't know that they're creating Mm -hmm. at the time. True. Jeanette, any last thoughts on art?
0: Um... Well, I know a lot of um, a lot of us talked the other day about how this book is very much encouraging people to create, and I I still think it's more about people living and being present in their lives. But I do think that you know it's very clear that the artist and the characters as well are very passionate about creating and making something, a, a, any kind of difference, any kind of meaning. And I think that's, you know, David goes from, I just want to be, you know, I want everybody to see my art to, you know what, I just want to make art that people see. And I think that's really a cool kind of takeaway about art, because it's not so much about, hey, I want everybody to know me as this famous artist, but about I want to just make something. And I want people to just get to see it. Yeah. And I think that's important about anything you do but especially art is just about being there and being passionate about doing it and making it happen
1: and I think art is a really great metaphor in general for making something for making something of your life Mm -hmm. um you know I think that's relatable in a way that like let's say being a business analyst (laughs) wouldn't have been um but no, I agree with both of you. Agree with both of you. So I guess the last question I have for you guys is, did you like it? Yeah, I
0: definitely think so. I mean, for me, it was very hard because the characters being not likable and the not likable things being what they were, being the more obvious things, like after reading it, I definitely went back and I was like, I really like this book, but right now all I can remember are the things I don't like about it. And that was yeah. really, really hard for me because I'm like, I, I, having read the book, I closed the book, I'm like, okay, there's a lot of stuff that's problematic and a lot of stuff people are not going to like. I'm like, but I like this book and I'm ready to defend it. And then a couple weeks later, people are like, I didn't like this part and this part. I'm like, yeah, me either. Wait, wait, <laughs> no, there's stuff I liked. Wait a minute, guys.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've kind of been going back and forth, like Jeanette. You know, I first read it, I was like, yeah, it was good. Uh, and then I was like, yeah, maybe I didn't like it as well. Because, yeah, I was so frustrated with David and with the situation. And I felt like he just wasn't using his ability to the to the fullest for so much of his time. But, again, I think it was realistic. Yeah. You know? And, and sometimes i got to remember that, you know, being realistic isn't bad. Like, it I isn't. think, like we were saying, it doesn't have to be, like a fantasy for everything. Right. Yeah. Um and so I think now discussing it a second time now, mm-hmm. I'm
1: going back to where I'm liking it more. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and to be fair, we've read a lot of books that are semi-autobiographical, bi- biographical, yes. autobiographical, <laughs> sorry. Um about white dudes with some privilege issues. Yeah. <laughs> um so it's lucky for us then that we're taking a small break from that. Yay. Um, we are reading for Book Club. I'm, I, we are reading for Book Club next Anna Karenina uh, by Leo Tolstoy, of course, which will be our podcast for March because we're giving ourselves two months to read this. Because it's a long, it's a super it's, book. It's 800 it's pages. Dense. 800 yeah. plus, actually. 800 plus of serious literature. Yes. So we're giving us. 2 months that does not mean we will not have a podcast in February though. Mm-hmm. We will be reading our or re-reading in our case um The City of Bones by Cassandra Clare which is the Mortal Instruments books that uh we just said the Shadowhunter series on Freeform mm-hmm. is going to be based on. Um so tune in next week to hear our opinions thoughts or next month you can do it next week if you want. You're right. I'm yeah, sorry. But you'll next leave, leave month listening. <laughs> um, to hear our thoughts and opinions on both the show mm-hmm. and the book. I think it'll be a good discussion. Me too. I'm excited. I think so. So with that, we're
0: going to say check out our show notes on sunriserobot.net slash eclecticreaders slash 11 And you're going to find links there to all the books we've discussed today on both Goodreads and Amazon. And you'll also find our own Goodreads discussion page. And if you have any bookish resolutions or feelings about the shows and books we've discussed today, we would love to discuss it with you. This is basically all we do, guys. And we would love to share it with you. So where can people find you on the Internet, Tara?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Tara Newman, T-A-R-A-N-E-W-M-A-N, or on our Goodreads page, I'm always lurking about. How about you, Mayor? Yep, you can find me on our Goodreads page, and if you like,
2: you can friend me on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash reading underscore gal. <laughs> nice! <laughs> how awesome. did you get that? <laughs> I'm special. I'll show you how to do it. <laughs> Um, what about you, Jeanette? Uh,
0: you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette. That's D-R-J-E-A-N-N-E-T-T-E. Make sure you get both N's and both T's because if you don't, you're not talking to me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I've had this happen. Um, oh, no. <laughs> and then you can also find me on Goodreads. I'm on the page. And if you want to go see my page specifically, it's goodreads.com slash R-I-V-E-R-A. And you can also give us feedback by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or, of course, by letting us know on the Goodreads page. We have a specific section for podcast feedback. So please go and.
2: Yeah, let us know how we're doing. Yeah. yeah.
0: And Goodreads is basically our favorite way to talk to people. Can you tell? So just <laughs> hang out on Goodreads all the time, comment on all the things. Um, support us on Patreon. You're obviously awesome if you're listening to Sunrise Robot. And one way to add to your awesome is going to sunriserobot.net slash support. And any way you can help it all is great. But if you're one of our super supporters, you, we get to thank you on the, on the show and tell you that you're great every month, which is really fun for us. So with that, we'd like to give special thanks to Benji Robinson and Carolyn Kraut for your generosity. You guys are awesome.
1: super awesome
0: thanks (laughs) and please remember to subscribe in your favorite podcatcher that way you never miss an episode and with that let's shelve this until next month sounds good guys alright see ya alright bye